Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Someone say holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. I want to see Jesus. I'm living now to see Jesus in eternity. And so when I read a verse that begins to describe or explain or state that there are things that will prevent me from seeing him, that will separate me from him, whether it be temporary or permanently, I definitely want to look at that verse and make sure that I'm on the right side of that verse. And so it says, without holiness, we cannot see the Lord. Verse 15 it says, look diligently. We've got to make a diligent, a concerted effort, lest any man fail of the grace of God. It's important to recognize that holiness and grace are in the same context. They do not compete with each other. They are not uh, polar opposites. They are one in this, uh, they're part of one and the same. It is without grace and without holiness, we cannot see God. You could jot down Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace through faith are ye saved. We cannot be saved without grace. But without holiness, we cannot see the Lord. We need grace and we need holiness. Someone say amen. Then it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And it says, thereby many be defiled. So what we have read has been problematic, not for one or two people every now and again, but many have been defiled along the way as it was then. So it is now. This is a topic that we do need to take care and look at diligently Because any man can fail from it. Any person can fail from God's grace. And uh, what's what's so sad is to fail from grace that cannot fail. God's grace never fails. It's only us that can fail from God's grace. If God's grace is active in your life, you will prevail. But if we begin to fail from it, that grace that can conquer, as I think we mentioned just the other week, where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. So no matter how big the sin is, how big the situation is, God's grace is all the bigger. It's going to always out-contend, out-compete, whatever comes up against it. But it will be on us if we fail from that grace that cannot fail. But we are focusing here on this word holiness, this subject matter for the next couple weeks. And in the Old Testament, most of it is written in Hebrew. In the New Testament, most of it is written in Greek. And that word holiness is kadash or hegios. And I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. But it's important to recognize that this word is found in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. This is not just one idea or doctrine that was meant for a certain segment of time, but it is meant for all time. And holiness comes from the word holy, which means that which is sacred, that which is pure, that which is blameless, that which is set apart. It's different than anything and everything else. It's set apart as holy, as sacred. Holiness now, it's from the same word, but it now means something that is of purification. It is a state of purity. It is what we would call, or maybe you have heard, sanctification. There is holy, that which is sacred and set apart, but then there is holiness, which is 
a purification, a sanctification. And when we repent and God forgives us of our sins, that in that moment is called justification. We are made just before God. It's it's as if in that moment the sin committed never happened. But sanctification is a little different. Justification is the moment. Sanctification is the momentum. It is the process. It is what is ongoing. It is the process that proceeds from justification. We are made just with God, but sanctification is what proceeds and stems and is an extension from justification. They are connected and it keeps moving forward. But any time that there is not sanctification, there is a severance from justification. God justifies us. You know, as the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if any man confesses sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God's grace is so fast, it's been clocked at the speed of confession. The moment you confess, God can forgive you right then and there. But God doesn't want to just hang out and camp in that moment. God wants that moment to extend and to progress, which is what we're calling holiness. The Bible calls holiness and sanctification. Now, it is a life of purification. Another word to think of, I I mentioned, is a direction. Holiness is a direction. Sanctification is a direction. We read here in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. It says, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, literally to make holy, to make clean. And ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile your members with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So stay away from creeps, right? And so I am the Lord that brings you up out of the land of Egypt for what purpose? To be your God. That's what his object, his goal is, is that he wants to be your God. He wants to be in relationship with you. Ye shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And so here they were justified. They were brought out of the land of Egypt. God did his part. But now they were to do their part. In verse 44, God says, I want you to sanctify yourselves. I've set you apart from Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. I did that miraculous work. But now I want you to sanctify yourselves. I delivered you. I set you free. I forgave you. But I want you to sanctify yourselves. The wilderness was meant to be a process of purification. Don't I have... Uh, the focus right now that I want to go through where a number of times God alludes to and he mentions it numerous times, the purpose of the process or why God wouldn't remove certain uh, uh, trials and enemies that would come their way. It was to test them. It was to see what was in their heart, where they were at and what God was trying to do in them. And so uh, this process of purification in the wilderness that they never let that process proceed justification. God liberated them, but they did not let God finish the process in them. And instead of moving in a forward direction, they went in circles, like quite literally, they wandered in the wilderness 
for circles. I can't remember the, the number of days uh, in one of the opening chapters, but basically God says, you know, what would have been 10 days or 14 days basically took you 40 years to get here. It's not the will of God for things to take that long. There's some things that can happen quicker in our lives if we would properly follow God's direction. But just in case, you know, you struggle with the idea or someone approaches you with this struggling concept of holiness or sanctification, it's not just Old Testament mumbo-jumbo. It is New Testament. First Peter one fifteen and 16, we read in Leviticus, now Peter reaches back from the New Testament into the Old Testament to let us know this still applies to us today. As he which has called you is holy. God hasn't stopped being holy. So we ought to be holy in all manner of conversation or behavior and lifestyle because it is written. God's word is forever settled in heaven that be holy for I am holy. We preach, we teach this because it's written. If it wasn't written, it wouldn't be spoken here. But because it's written, because it's declared, because God calls us to it, we reach for it and we teach it and we preach it. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, the Lord speaks unto Moses and he says this, Speak to all the congregation, not just a segment of them, but all of them, the entirety. Everybody is to be a part of this, of the children of Israel. Say to them, ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. For God to require it means we must aspire to it. If he didn't, then we couldn't. If God did not call us to it, if God did not require it, it would be impossible for us to attain it. But God called us to it. God presented it to us because he's saying, I'm inviting you to something that I have called you to. And for God to call us, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter one and verse six, be confident of this very thing that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus began the call. Jesus initiated the process. And so for him to begin it means he's going to complete it. That's his goal. That's his desire. But why? Why would God require it? Well, we read because one, he's holy. God is holy. This is a holy God. This is a holy calling. And God is calling us to move in a direction towards him, which brings us closer to him. And so with that understanding, we are approaching a perfect, sacred, blameless, holy God. And that which is unholy cannot stand before that which is holy. That which is imperfect, that which is flawed, cannot stand before that which is flawless and perfect. It's just not possible. It's like oil and water. They just don't gel. They don't come together. And if we think of the sun, except in the wintertime, we don't see it here in South Dakota. But if you can remember what the sun used to look like. And used to feel like it's powerful, it provides light, it provides life. And the closer you approach the sun, the greater the intensity of it. And that you begin to feel the effects of it upon you. It could warm you, it can tan you, but it also can destroy. Some of you won't tan, it'll just make more like a lobster red bisque. But for those who tan, it will tan you. 
Others, we know it will burn you. And with that realization that that's the sun, it's powerful. It gives life. It provides this beautiful, wonderful source that we need, that we cannot live without. But the closer you get to it, the greater the effect it has on you. Nothing about the sun has changed. Nothing. Just your proximity to it. The sun is the same. But the closer you get to it changes everything. And so there are certain things that cannot stand within the proximity of the sun. The closer you approach him, the greater the exposure and the intensity. His glory and his holy. Think of God as that sun. The closer that we get to God. From a distance, you know, at first, you know, it it could be even blinding. If you live in darkness, to first see the light can be a little much for you. We've talked about this before, about years ago, when the Chilean miners were stuck under the the crest of the earth for an extended amount of time, and they could not see. They were very uh, uh, methodical in bringing them out of the earth because they did not want to blind their eyes. They brought them out at a certain time, and they made sure it was dark, and they gave them certain UV protection for their eyes because too much exposure too quick would have blinded them. And we have to be sensitive to that in this message of holiness because there's sometimes we can bring too much light too soon. But there's other times it may seem like it's too soon, but God quickens us to present it because someone's ready for it. And we have to be sensitive to that at any moment in time of where somebody is at. And so when, when somebody comes out of it or gets closer to God, there's uh, the, the, the idea of the sun that there, there's things that cannot stand the proximity, the intensity of the sun, and they begin to combust. And that's how we are. We're at a distance from God. And all of a sudden we see this light. Somebody let their light shine. They took it away from that bushel. They took it out from their house. And we saw that light and it came to us. And that light brought us out of darkness. But the closer you get to the sun, the closer you get to God, there's certain things that the warmth isn't enough. You know, you want more of it. And all of a sudden, God begins to impact you and certain things that you carry, certain things that you had begin to combust if you continue to move forward. And so God didn't change just our proximity. So here's an example in Exodus chapter three, verses one through five. It's the first time, actually, the Bible introduces the word holy. Exodus chapter three, verse one through five. Moses kept back the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why this bush is not burnt. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see and God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And in verse five, he said, draw not nigh hither, put off your shoes from off your feet for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Basically, as Moses is in this uh, situation here. He sees this bush on fire, which is probably not uncommon. 
in an arid climate of 100 plus degrees. You know, things can combust, things can light, ignite very easily. But what startled him is here's this bush on fire engulfed with flames, but it is not being consumed. And so out of curiosity, he looks at it and now he begins to approach it. And as the curiosity became a pursuit, all of a sudden there was a call. There was a voice that went forth and began to speak to him. And when any time we are in pursuit of something of God, God will begin to speak. God will begin to talk to us. And all of a sudden God begins to speak here to Moses and basically begins to let him know that you are getting too close for comfort. There's a consequence of irreverence. And so God begins to inform him where he is approaching and the grounds he is walking on. Though that that dirt on the ground is no different in to the eyes, perhaps, of the dirt that's just about five feet away or 50 yards away. Nothing about the property seems to be different, but everything about the proximity changed everything. And as Moses got closer to God, this theophany, this this temporary manifestation of a holy God here on earth, as he got close to that, it began to speak to him and said, look, I want you to remove the shoes that are on your feet. Why would I need to remove something? Because now you are in proximity of holiness. You are in the proximity of God. And if you want to carry this conversation, and if you want to learn about what's going on here, this is what I am requiring you to do. Or you can just carry on your merry way. You can just keep passing by, and you can go take care of your flocks, and you can continue as you were. But if you're curious about what's happening here, and if it has your interest, and something about it is drawing you, remove this element in your life and we can go forward from here and I can begin to reveal more to you because not until he obeyed the voice in the proximity when he did that God began to speak to him and God began to reveal himself and begin to say I am that I am has sent you Moses didn't know the I am that I am But now as he is in the proximity and he's obeying the voice and he's removing that which the voice has spoken to him to remove, he begins to reveal. When we remove, God will reveal. But it's all about proximity. It's all about direction. Moses was going one direction, but something caught his peripheral and he changed his direction. And as long as he went that direction, he got direction. This is what I want you to do. This is what I'm speaking to you about. Well, no one else has to take off your shoes. No, you take off your shoes. This is what I want you to do. And he obeyed. And so Moses begins to get revelation from God. In verse 36, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The intensity of of God's holiness, put a reverent fear into Moses. You really know when someone's persuaded of God's presence and holiness because there is a fearful reverence, not a cowering, I'm going to run from him, but if I'm going to stay near him, I'm going to change my response toward him. 
I'm going to change some things. And this happened to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai when God spoke to them in Exodus 19. The whole mountain's on fire. There's smoke. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's sounds of trumpet from heaven waxing louder and louder from the presence of a holy God. Just propping his feet up. It was just the feet of God that literally ignited that mountain. It was the feet of God. It wasn't in the hand of God. It wasn't in the face of God. It was just the feet of God that completely ignited that mountain and resonated with thunderings and trumpets. That's how difference, how much of a difference the presence of a holy God can make. And the people were scared. And they began to, some wanted to walk away from it. They were fearful, but others began to wander towards it. And as they wandered towards it, they, they received direction from Moses. Moses says, whoa, 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 listen, listen. If, if we're going to be in this kind of atmosphere and setting, God is calling us to sanctify ourselves. Let's change some things. Let's put some things away. Let's make ourselves holy. God has justified us. God has delivered us from Egypt. But we must sanctify ourselves if we're going to be in the presence of God. In other words, they were to be consumed. Holiness is a, a reverent awareness. When someone has the spirit of holiness on them, I'm not talking about a dress code. I'm not talking about, you know, all your I's dotted, your T's crossed. I'm talking about when someone has the spirit of holiness on them, there's a reverent awareness. There is a caution. There is a working of one's salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians 2. There's just something that you, you, you monitor things that exit out of your mouth. You monitor things that are presented before the eyes. You monitor the, the, the geography of where your feet take you. you. You're just aware that I'm in the presence of a holy God. And that holy God lives within me. And because of that, I got to be very careful. Exodus fifteen eleven, who's like unto you, O Lord, among the gods? Who's like unto you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Now, remember, holy means set apart, and there is no other God that is holy. There's other spiritual forces out there that have power, but they're not holy. There is nothing like this God that is completely perfect, sacred, and clean. In fact, when God begins to present the laws uh, and the process of sanctification to Moses and Aaron, he says the, the communities around you, the religious world around you is going to recognize something different about you. They're going to see that your laws are different than their laws and your lifestyle is different than their lifestyle because your God is different than their God. When we have a different God, there is a different life. And so we go forward here, recognizing that there's no God that is holy, but our God. And because of that, we ought to be fearful in praises. And everything we do and all of our behaviors around this God, our lifestyle, our worship, everything. And the life I live affects the worship I give. When we read this verse 11, it says, glorious in holiness, fearful and praises a spirit of holiness is not just about, you know, what I, I uh, my conversation behavior of going certain places and participating or not participating in certain things. It's about how I engage God. It's how I interact with God. When I when I have 
this revelation of the gloriousness of his holiness, there is a fearfulness in my praise. I, I worship him. I respond to him. I engage him. I'm not, I'm not just like, again, taking the scene of Moses and, and the burning bush, that there was something about the holiness of God that drew him. And then all of a sudden, there was the requirements of the removal of things, but also there was dialogue that began to take place. And when you're in the holiness of God, there should be a dialogue, whether it be prayer, whether it be praise, where it should be interacting with a holy God. He doesn't want us just to sit back, admire him, and just say, he's so holy, I'm so not holy. No, he wants to have relationship. He wants our praises. He wants our prayers. He wants us to commune with him. And so because of his holiness, God gave specific instructions for the people to approach him. So they would not die speaking there at Mount Sinai and you could not be morally impure. So God established guidelines that ensured they were ritually pure to approach him. God used the natural and physical to help them see the spiritual. And that's that's what the Old Testament uh, just the other week when we were just talking about types and shadows to help uh, a bright clarity in a point. The Old Testament and New Testament. So it is with the ceremonial laws, the dietary laws, and the rituals that were taking place in the Old Testament. They could not be morally pure. And so God gave them all these ceremonies and the rituals. And if they would maintain ritual purity, then God says, okay, I'll let you have proximity. But in the New Testament, it's not about ritual purity. It's about spiritual purity. We now can actually be seated with him in heavenly places. We could find grace that we could boldly approach his throne, as it says in Hebrews 4, to find grace to help in time of need. And so God basically displayed the Old Testament, as it says in Galatians, as, as our schoolmaster. It was a, uh, a school of hard knocks for us to observe to see, to learn, to glean. So we in the new covenant, in the new Testament and the days of grace can recognize that's how it applied naturally. And that's, that's gotta be taken to note in our minds that this is a serious thing. And God used the physical and the natural to help us to understand something about the spiritual that though we may not have to have all those ritual ceremonies and though we may not drop dead, like some of them drop dead. And I'll just interject this right now. In case you don't think any of that could ever happen, you know, just read a little bit about Ananias and Sapphira. Read a little bit about Herod. Read a little bit about the New Testament church in the days when they had taken communion. There was still judgment that came to the church in the days of grace. So we still got to be careful, but we don't see as many people drop dead like we read about in the Old Testament. But at the same time, there should be a reverent awareness when it comes to holiness. And we don't just kind of scoff at it. Well, you know, you see it this way. I see it that way. No, let's see it God's way. God, you're, you're holy. And God, I'm going to do everything I can to be spiritually pure in my approach. So God establishes these guidelines for them to be ritually pure to approach him. And God uses this natural, this physical to help us understand the spiritual. God still does this. Man looks on the appearance, but God looks on the heart. So God expounds the consequence of the natural to prevent them from the consequence of the spiritual. And so these, these natural consequences come. So there can be a pause, uh, some reflection, like, okay, 
there, there's, there's some consequence to this. There's some, there's, God has something to say about this. And holiness is designed to help us have that irreverent awareness. But God always starts. He always starts on the heart. This is why we have the book of Leviticus. It's to help his people to approach and worship him in holiness. Exodus chapter 28, verse 35 and 36. And it shall be unto Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goes in unto the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, that he die not. And you will make for him a plate of gold engrave upon it, like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. The priest had to have this statement worn on his head as he approached God. It had to be on his mind. He, had, he needed this to be on the forefront of his mind. Again, this is the natural, but we need to have this in the spiritual. We don't have to walk around. I'm thankful because, you know, I, hats and things like that don't look good on my head. But uh, it's trying to help us to see that it's, they, they did it physically on their head as they walked in approach to the, the outer courts and into the holy place, into the holiest of holies. It was to be on their mind. And we need to have that on our mind in our pursuit of God. That am I getting any pure as I'm getting closer to him? Is there anything in my world that is combusting as I get closer to him? Because he is pure. He is holy. He is sacred. And holiness was to be on the mind as they approached a holy God. Now, if holiness is not on our mind, what are we approaching? What are we approaching if holiness is not on the mind? What are we approaching if we haven't thought reverent, fearful in a while? What is our pursuit? Are we pursuing at all or are we stagnant? Or are we going the wrong direction? But if we're going the right direction, there should be something on our mind. First Chronicles 16, 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, when we come before his presence, we are to worship a holy God in a holy manner. Now, some people think this way of living is, is the bondage of holiness. But the word declares this is the beauty of holiness. Holiness has beauty. It doesn't have bondage. There is a beauty when we're truly in the right spirit of holiness. If you have this, this idea of bondage or you feel like you're in bondage, it's because we're in the wrong spirit. If we are in the right spirit, we don't feel a bondage from holiness. We sense a beauty about it. There is an understanding. There is a revelation because holiness is about the nature of God. It's about who he is. And so when we worship in holiness, we give God glory. It says, give unto the Lord glory due unto his name. And so if we approach him in the wrong manner, we can't give him what is deserving to him. We're giving something other than that. But if we are in the beauty of holiness, we can give what is deserving to him. 
A holy God deserves a holy worship. A holy God deserves a holy approach. A holy God deserves something beautiful. Not somebody that comes and feels like, well, this is just bondage. This is, this is just some sort of, you know, th- task I have to do. I'm going to do it grudgingly. I'm going to do it out of necessity. You know, I want to do it willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. And so when we worship in holiness, we're giving God glory. And we give weight to that which is eternal. By definition, that's what glory is. It is the weighted. It is the tangible. It is the known presence of God. He is infinite. He is immortal. He is omnipresent all times, all places. God's everywhere. But the moment you can sense him and the moment he makes himself known, that is the glory of God. Now, remember, we made a, a mention a moment ago, the Old Testament about the whole, they would do the, the ritual process and God used all the physical to help us understand the uh, uh, spiritual. But now as we begin working on the heart and we begin the spiritual process, it's like God now almost like reverses it. He, he reverses the order. It's not about the natural to understand the spiritual. It's the spiritual to help us to understand the natural. And when we are on the spiritual track and we're pursuing God in the spirit of holiness, there's also added weights that come. Not the weights that so easily beset us and bear us down, but the weight you feel is now the eternal glory of a living, sacred, holy God. And that which may seem unattractive at first to our flesh becomes so warm and inviting and comforting and ministry because now, now there's this tangible, there's this, this physical presence of God here. And it's, it's not just spiritually changed me, it is physically changing me. It's a beautiful switch that God does from the Old Testament to the new. And so God is looking for true worshipers. John 4, 23, 24. You know, the hour has come. The hour now is. God is looking for true worshipers. God's a spirit. And if we're going to worship him, it has to be in spirit. It has to be in truth. And God's not going to receive other worship. He's going to receive true worship. The beauty of holiness is the worship that brings glory to his name. And so Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 21, we got about five more minutes here and we're going to wrap it up and we'll continue. When God consulted with his people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. So they went out before the army to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Am and Moab, Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. There is a battle surrounding the doctrine of holiness. But when we discover the spirit of holiness and the beauty of holiness, and we praise the beauty of holiness, it surrounds what battles us and prevails. There's a battle against holiness. It's, it's always been there. It's always going to be there. Until, you know, uh, death is swallowed up and, you know, Jesus Christ fills all in all. There's going to be this combative thing that is going on. But if we could understand that, because it says that all, what, what, these nations here, um, Ammon and Moab, they all came against Judah. They all came against praise. They all came against the praise of God. But the praise of God brought about a praise of the beauty of holiness. That's what it says in verse 21. They praised the beauty of holiness. 
they sanctified themselves, they made themselves clean, and they didn't complain about what they were doing. They didn't grudgingly do what they were doing. They began to find a praise in what they were doing with the understanding this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And I might be surrounded by everything in this world that opposes what I am praising, what I am following, what I am believing. But this very beauty of holiness that I'm praising is going to surround me. It's a covering for me, and it will prevail what is trying to overtake me. It's the beauty of praising a holy God. God's city is established on a mountain of holiness. God is the great Lord, Psalm 48, verse 1. And this great Lord is greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. Now, some would argue the church makes mountains out of molehills, that we make bigger things out of holiness and things like that than we ought to. But holiness is not a molehill. It's a mountain that God lives on and dwells on. And so, yes, we should make a big deal about which is the big deal to God. He's a big God. This big God is holy. And he is encamped and enthroned on a mountain of holiness. God, see, when we praise the beauty of holiness, it is in a, in, we enthrone God. We enthrone him in holy praise, pure praise, godly praise. Got two more minutes here. Psalm 60 and verse 6. God speaks in holiness. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem, meet out the valley of Succoth. And so we find a holiness people. If you could find a holiness people, you'll find the voice of a holy God. If now I'm not talking about holiness movement in the sense of, you know, that meets this criteria, this criteria and just mere external. I'm talking about the spiritual side of it. Yes, we know as we're going to go forward here, there's more than just the inward. There's things that take place. Remember the natural, the physical, the spiritual, etc. But if you can get the spirit of it and you're in the direction of it, everything will naturally take place as they should because when you are in a certain proximity certain properties do not survive the proximity of the intensity of that sun you can always kind of gauge a little bit of where people are at in their proximity of the sun you could see about where they're at you don't need to knock you know take their feet out from underneath them and try to beat them over you just have an idea this is this is where they're at as long as they are in direction that's good. If they're in the right direction, then this is good. But if they're at a standstill, you got to let there be an understanding be taught and brought about. But if it's about going a different direction and pulling people out of that direction, that's a whole other ball game. But if we are in direction, if we are in the spirit of holiness over time, progressively, things will combust, things will change, things will alter, because that's the power of the property of the intensity of a holy, sacred God. And so if you have people with a spirit of holiness, you're, you're somewhere where there's the voice of God. God speaks in holiness. Psalm 89, verse 34, 35, we'll stop, we'll stop here. Um, God is committed to holiness. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. A holiness covenant cannot be broken. That is why we ought to never sever from holiness. If we do, we miss out 
on what God promised. Because there's promises of God that uh, each promise of God has, I don't know if you want to call it a caveat or criteria. There there are some obligations. It's what a covenant is. If, If there's a breach of contract, the contract is null and void. The person doesn't have to fulfill their ends of the terms if you have not fulfilled your ends of the term. Uh, if I'm saying that right, sometimes I speak faster than I think or vice versa. But the point is this, that when, when, when God brings forth a promise, there's certain promises that are only connected to holiness. And you can never attain that promise without holiness. There's, the, the healing is not a, co- a holiness covenant. That's a blood covenant. That's, that's what the blood provides for. But there's certain things that it's, it, you find it under the canopy. If you're under God's holiness and you're in line with his holiness, God says, this, this, this area of your life, I'm going to take care of. This is why, just like the financial aspect of it. When, when you begin to give your, your finances to God, God, there's a covering. There's a protection over that which you've committed to God in tithing and offering. And so it is. Let's stand together. I've got to stop. It's 1045. Jesus, we love you. God, you're awesome. God, you're wonderful. I thank you for the beauty of holiness. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there would be a reverent awareness about us, Lord, in our pursuit of you. Help us to see you, God, as greater than the power of the sun that is in the sky, Lord, that provides life and warmth. But as we approach the proximity of that sun, there is greater intensity of heat. There is greater, Lord, cause and effect that comes from it. And so it is with you, God. Your holiness is greater greater than the radiating heat of a sun. You are God, and you are holy, and you call Call us to be holy for you are holy. And God, we are approaching you. And I pray as we approach you, God, that you don't leave us as you found us. Change us, God. Transform us, we pray. We love you. We thank you. And someone say in Jesus.